What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show, Talent Acquired. I'm your host, Chris Nikiso with Chris Edward Consulting. And today we have very special guest, Boris Siebert. Boris, I'm gonna have to read your title, bud, because I didn't realize how long it really was. <laughs> so Boris is the head of business to business and go-to-market global creativity and productivity at Logitech. And he and I will be discussing the importance of process in relation to the interviewing cycle when acquiring talent. So Boris, my man, thank you so much, first off, for joining the show. Really appreciate that. And then secondly, for confusing everybody tuning in as to what it is you do. So I will turn it over to you to fill us in a little bit more about what you do at Logitech, and then we'll jump right in. Perfect. Chris, thanks, first of all, for having me on. It's always fun to talk with you. And so I enjoy these talks, and I'm glad we actually get to record one of what you call rap sessions. Yeah, what do I do at Logitech? So I joined Logitech about two years ago in what they call their core group, which is creativity and productivity. That explains that part of the title. So think keyboards and mice for the most part. And for the most part, Logitech has done very, very well at establishing a brand and getting to consumers. But they've not done very, very well is getting to B2B customers, enterprises, inter- you know, like the IT decision makers. And I have a huge background in B2B sales. And so they brought me on board to take a look at what the gap is in their strategy, put together a strategy, and then help them define a go-to-market strategy relative to their core products. Interesting, interesting. So what I find very fitting about this conversation is, one, you are a hiring manager. And two, you were recruited over to Logitech. Yes. And I think one thing I see from my vantage point as a talent acquisition consultant really is the inconsistency with companies in terms of their communication, their timeline, and really what it is they want in this position or what they want out of a particular candidate that they're looking to recruit. And then secondly, what I see a lot happen is candidates will go in for a job. When they come out of it, it's a completely different position than what was originally pitched and discussed. And so I see problems with companies who are trying to retain the best talent because essentially they don't have their shit together. So my question to you, Boris, is how important is process in the interviewing cycle? Yeah, I got to tell you, this has been a pain point of mine for probably the last 23 years. I've probably hired somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's just call it 125 to 150 people. And the process is, it's always been arduous, at least at bigger companies. So at Plantronics, which is a mid-sized company, and now at Logitech, which is also a mid-sized company, relatively speaking, the amount of approvals, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, getting the interview team together, getting everyone synced up, and then doing whatever extras you do, background checks, caliper tests, whatever they may be, getting all those results back, and then getting back to those candidates from start to finish for a hiring manager on average is three months. And now you have to understand hiring manager's primary job is not to hire people. It's to manage their teams and define the strategies and move forward. So this tends to be like almost a nighttime, you know, your after work job and catch up, if that makes sense. And so, you know, going through all the candidates, depending on how many candidates you're going to put up to the team and what their processes is, sometimes you have a phase one, phase two, phase three, or you do kind of group type of interviews, or you kind of have just, hey, you're going to interview with 13 people. I know when I joined Logitech, I interviewed with 13 people over the course of eight weeks. It was long, painful, and crazy. 
I don't know why that is. I think I think people have realized that companies, if I were to take my take on it, they realize the number one impact they can have as a hiring manager is who they put on the bench, right? 90% of my influence is who I choose to put on the bench. The rest, once I have them on the bench, I have about 10% influence at that point because the people I'm hiring, they got there for a reason. They know how they do things and how they get things done. And you're not going to change how they do those things, right? You need to you know, spell out strategy and motivate them and have all the right comp plans in place. But really, the, the, the biggest influence I have as a hire manager is who goes on that bench. And because of that, that whole idea of how do I discover the unknown of this person, right? Their work ethic, how they're going to fit into the team, how they're going to you know, get up in the morning and attack their job. How do customers accept them? How do their peers view them? Like all those things are, are what I would call risks and opportunities, but it's risk. If I get the wrong person in, in, the, in the team, it's going to have a significant impact on the overall team performance. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you talked about how long your process was with Logitech, but I would also take this a step further, though. It really depends on the nature of the position, right? Like at your level, you're going to be weighted much differently towards the P&L and the business, right? Versus like an office assistant. You have a much greater impact than an individual contributor. And not to say that, you know, the office assistant and the project manager isn't important to the business. No, it absolutely is. It's just they're weighted differently. And there's more people you got to speak to. So that's probably why I had to speak to 13 people. But I'm talking about stuff where I've had candidates come and tell me, I don't understand the position that I'm interviewing for. Or candidates, you know, go to find out more about the company, the projects they've done. And I can't even make this up, Boris. I've had people tell me companies. I asked them, you know, what separates you from your competitors? I've had people literally tell me, we do cool projects and we're a lot of fun. That's not going to help you acquire the best talent. And I feel like those are basic things, the storytelling and what you're looking to hire for. Those are basic things that need to be nailed down. And so (laughs) I feel like if you can't even answer those questions, there's going to be a lot more trouble to come. And so, so yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm gonna, I think you've asked two questions in one, and I'll, I'll tackle the first, which is being able to describe what the day in the life of this job looks like is extremely hard for a hiring manager because we're inside the box, right? We know exactly what it is, but we're having a hard time articulating what that person needs to be doing and what the day in the life of that person is. And so one of the tricks I used to use when I was over at Plantronics, at, at one point I was managing the inside sales organization. I actually had the candidate sit down for a half day with reps and see what the job was. Get on the phone with the reps and we didn't set up anything. And it actually turned in part of my interview process to see if they were a team fit because the team would know instantly if they wanted those people on the team or not. They would come to me and it's like, this person's really good or don't tell me you're hiring this person. Like they would come back immediately and tell me if they're going to be a fit. But for the candidate, it was a real eye opener every time because you can describe what inside sales is at a manufacturer, but until you see, feel, and touch what they're doing every day, you don't really know what you're signing up for. And so there is what I call the tricks of the trade. And so I always include peers in the interview team, always include them so they can describe the day in the life of and describe how they enjoy their job in the team. Mm, Interesting. And I agree with what you did on that. And I like how you use, so basically you tested something that wasn't a part of the process with regards to having candidates that you were interested in speak to your inside sales team. You got it. 
That wasn't a process before. That was not a process. And it sounds a little dubious, but I used to actually have our executive admin pick up a candidate from the front of the building and take them on a walk all the way to the back of the building. And that was considered an interview. That walk was an interview. But it was an, an amazing tactic because Doris was her name, the executive admin. She would always tell me at the end of that walk, like, this is a good one, Boris, or, you know, be careful with this one. Because it's interesting how people will treat an executive admin during a walk. And that says a lot about their character and who they are. So for a candidate, I would tell them every step of the process, who you're talking to matters. It doesn't even matter if it's the person that you're checking in into the front at the receptionist desk or virtually being walked through or the person that's helping you put together your Zoom meetings. All of it is an interview. All of it's an interview. Process is important, again, because of the importance of you know the bench, right? My influence as a hiring manager is 90% who I put on the bench. And so the process, and again, it could be a formal or informal process, but having a process and understanding what it is and what you're attempting to achieve as a hiring manager is extremely important. And for those hiring managers that don't treat it that way, they make mistakes. And hiring mistakes are costly at any level. So from your experience, Boris, because you said you've hired over 100 people in your career, what are the biggest mistakes companies are making in the talent acquisition process? I think the biggest mistake, and, and by far is that this is the biggest mistake, when you get to the final three candidates or the final five candidates, the assumption that one of those people are going to get the job is a horrible assumption to start with. I think it's the biggest mistake because you're comparing three candidates, and there might be a fourth that you haven't talked to that's much better, right? So being able to have a null set of candidates and being comfortable with that as, as a hiring manager is okay, right? And also listening to the red flags, right? You have a lot of people that don't have the ability to do a red light, but they're telling you something. You have to listen, right? This person didn't feel right because of these different reasons. And that might be the executive admin that did the walk, right? And that red flag, I have learned by ignoring those red flags and going with the candidate because I was either under time pressure or hitting my you know, end of quarter goals to get the team staffed up or whatever that these external structures to make a fast decision versus a good decision and not listening to those red flags. I have ran into what we'll just say long-term performance issues exactly on what was said at the start. Your gut feeling at the start of the process is almost always right. And usually like, oh, this person can make up for it or we can work with that person. It's like, no, they're who they are. They're demonstrating who they are. This is their best self in interviewing. And if they're not their best self in that moment, that's a red flag, right? So going into a new world of recruiting influenced by COVID, what are the two key pieces of advice you'd give hiring managers or organizations that need to improve their process? You just threw the last word process in it. So I'll answer it in two different forms. One is what's the piece of advice? And then I'll talk about process. So the piece of advice I'd give is this. A resume and qualifications aren't everything. They're a good starting point, but it's really the interview process that really finds the right candidate. And what I mean by that is you can have the best qualifications, the best expertise on paper and in the interview, but really at the end of the day, that candidate that you're looking for, you probably want someone that's a little more, and I always look for this candidate, which is this insecure, ambitious candidate. The person that has to reach up for this job, the person that is hungry to prove themselves, to 
increase what they're doing or make progress in their in their career, right? If you're hiring someone that can nail this job, is the expert, you're going to find that that candidate probably doesn't have to work that hard and it's going to have an overall impact on the rest of the team. I want the hungry people. And so my first piece of advice is look for the diamond in the rough. Look for that person that's looking for that next step that's hungry because that hunger is much more important than a qualification. You can always teach someone a skill set. You can't teach hunger. You want someone hungry. And so that's the number one thing. As it relates to process, I alluded to this, is I think the biggest thing in process is as much as you're trying to find the right candidate, you need to also sell the company. You have to get something really puffed up for this position because it's not a guarantee just because you're interviewing this person that you can actually secure this person. So once in the interview team decides, hey, this is probably an A candidate, someone who we're going to move forward with, you need to have a couple people on the team selling the company to this person. You need to reverse the cycle because now this person's probably interviewing the company. And just as much as you're interviewing the company, you need to know that you're being interviewed. Yeah, this is the greatest team ever to work with, or we have great culture, or, this is cool, or those things don't work. You need to spell out a vision of how this person's going to add value to the vision of where you're headed and why you need them on the team. That's the pitch you need to make. And then the third one, and I alluded to this, is being comfortable with null sets, right? Being comfortable with null sets is good. Love it, my man. Boris, this has been great having this rap session, as we call it. I will leave you with one question. When the economy is fully reopened, what is Boris doing? Well, first off, I'm going to take vacations again, get on a plane with my family and take a vacation. Let's just start, you know, family number one. My five-year goal, family first five-year goal is to go swim the English Channel. So that, that is what I've been working on for the last year and a half. And, and I plan on doing it in the next four years. So there you go. I love it. I love it. Well, again, I can't thank you enough. Seriously, it's been awesome. I've had a lot of fun on this and I hope the audience tuning in gets a lot of what Boris has been able to do having success in hiring and leading teams. So until next time, thank you and be well. I'm looking forward to the next rap session, Chris. 